Back to the worldy. That's that's as long as I don't remember the next bit. <laughs> back to the back to the worldy. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Kyle. Hi, Joel. And hello to you, listener, and welcome to a very special emergency episode. We are, we are, That's a siren of alarm. Yeah, there's a there's a football emergency, and whilst we are on a mid-season hiatus... Sure. No, between-season no, yeah, between break. Seasons. We're on a between-season break uh, from the Absolute Worldy Football Podcast. Uh, we still felt it was necessary, listener, to fill you in on what on earth is happening. That's right. If you're aware of football, you're probably like, oh, don't need you two idiots telling me what's going on. I've already got an opinion, but uh, I'm aware... That most of our listenership doesn't really know that much about football. And most of them are going, why the hell is everyone so angry? Kyle, everyone is talking about this, Joel. Everyone. The news broke sort of on Sunday night. It was on the main BBC News after Line of Duty. That's where I first heard it. Oh, that was a good episode of Line of Don't Duty. Don't spoil Line of Duty for people. What a good episode. Is there anything that could be more dramatic until this time next Sunday? Dun-dun, the news at 10. The European Super League. Oh, and by the way, listener, you're going to hear us say the European Super League an insane amount of times. Well, the European Super League is 12 breakaway rebel clubs that want to form their own tournament aside from national and continental existing competitions. Joel, what does that mean? Right, so uh, for our very non-football literate listener, uh, a, a, a club from... England, for example, where Kyle and I currently sit. We live here. Allegedly. Um, uh, other countries that are available. Less so these Not days. for long. <laughs> the idea of nationhood is practically dissolving before our very eyes. That's why we're doing this podcast. Literally, football and therefore life as we know it might be irrevocably changed. <laughs> is that the right use of irrevocably? I think it's irrevocably. Oh. Doesn't matter. I'll leave that in. Um, so... Uh, uh, an English team may well play uh, from the top division, um, which we will talk about, actually, the top division uh, and a kind of back history of, um, of the finances of football momentarily. But an English team from the top division, a top team, shall we say, maybe even one of the top six teams in England, spoiler alert, um, may play their domestic competition, which is home and away, 38 games of a regular season, person who has the most points at the end wins the league. The bottom three, important detail, get relegated to the lower division. They will also play two cup competitions domestically. And if they have done well, again, if they have done well the year before, they may well get to play in a European tournament. That European tournament goes alongside the domestic tournament. Usually play in midweek. That might be why you're always seeing the champ, hearing this music on a Wednesday. The Champions! A famous bit of Champions League music. And these things are supposed to work together, naturally, harmoniously, as a as sort of two uh, products, brands, alongside each other, giving you a full season of football competition. Uh, and uh, the, the Football Association, the English Football Association, they uh, are in charge, are the governing body of the, of the league system and the two domestic cups the League Cup and the uh, FA Cup, uh, and UEFA, 
uh, are the European version of that, or UEFA, as other people would call them. I feel like we are already chatting absolute shit. No, I think everyone's followed us so far. Okay. There's a European body, there's an English body, you play three th- three things in England and maybe one thing in Europe. If you've done well, and that is an important point. So... What is being proposed, Joel? So why is everyone so angry? So, uh, 12 of the biggest teams in the, uh, in the world... Uh, that's two from Spain, the two biggest in Spain, Bar- sorry, three from Spain, Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Uh, that's three from Italy. Juventus, AC Milan and Internazionale Milan or Inter. Uh, and then, most controversially, all six of the so-called big six, although more on that are none. Um, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea and London, the two Manchester clubs, United and City and Liverpool have all announced their intention to form a breakaway European Super League that will not fall under either the FA, as we spoke about, the English uh, governing body, or UEFA, the European governing body. It would be self-governing, and it would work alongside the current system. Why has this riled everyone up? Well, there's a number of reasons, but um, one of them, and one of the principal ones that I think is mostly affecting football fans, and we'll get to kind of a wider reason why this is so repulsive in a minute, but why this is affecting, uh, there you go, me putting my cards on the table, called it repulsive. Quite well, spoiler alert, we don't, we're not in agreement with the European Super League plans. Uh, in, interestingly, nobody is, and it's got cross No, 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 I saw on a BBC poll, it was 40,000 thumbs down, and 3,000 thumbs up. That's 3,000 people who really like this idea. That's so, almost one in ten. So, the, 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 the idea is that these 12 teams, plus three more founder teams who have yet to be announced, although there has been much speculation as to who they will be, especially considering it's really about the global powers of football, all interestingly situated in Western Europe. We should probably say who those three are, are supposedly going to be. Uh, we'll get to that, because I think that was also... That, that that's an interesting discussion in terms of three that we uh, are the big teams that might not be okay. with it. But um, that those three, so there'll be fifteen founder teams of the league, and they will never leave the league. That is right. Fifteen teams playing each other week in week out in the middle of the week. Aside from all the competitions that they're already having to play, these football clubs, those teams will never not be present. And then five teams will just be invited each year to make up a league of 20. Uh, don't really understand how that works. I think it's all of this which we'll probably come on to. We've got to stop saying we'll come on to it because we don't have the time and maybe we should just come on to it as we think of it. But basically, it's an American-style system of leagues where we have the National Football League of American Football, the National Basketball Association, the NBA... These leagues are franchise clubs, basically, because they don't have relegation or promotion. Every year they know that their income is the same, their budget is the same. There is no consequence to the sport in those leagues. It's more of an entertainment uh, spectacle than a competitive sport. But they're they're, they're the most important thing, and there is a a strong American presence in this, in that both Manchester United and uh, Liverpool... The, probably the two biggest, easily the two biggest teams in this country are owned by American owners. And AC Milan. Yes, indeed. Um, but there, there's, a, there's an American influence in this because their revenue is guaranteed. Now, in the current football pyramid, the big clubs are insanely rich. Insanely rich. 
However, they are not guaranteed that income. If they have a bad season and they do not finish near the top of the league, those clubs will earn less money. And I, I know what you're thinking. Well, surely that's just the way that sports should be. If you're not the best, you won't get them as much money. We can debate the meritocratic elements of capitalism and sport on another day. The most important point here is for these 12, soon to be 15 teams, they don't want at any cost to lose any money. That is all this comes down to. There's nothing... There's no... They, they've released some statements talking about that, that, you know, they have a global fan base between them, these clubs of a billion people, and that it's only by playing each other week in, week out that they can really maximise that fan base, and the money coming in will be huge, and then they'll, that'll trickle down somehow to the lower bit of the football pyramid. However, as everyone is pointing out, this league is being started by a 10 billion euro investment from the American investment bank, JP Morgan. Where exactly these clubs think that 10 billion euro investment will trickle down when they're the only people playing each other week in, week out, and the game and this league is not being governed by any of the governing bodies who are responsible for ensuring money trickles down through the grassroots is a subject up for much debate. Essentially, and I think we've done pretty well in 10 minutes, I hope you're up to date, listener. Essentially, the biggest teams in world football want to break the current system in favour of something that only benefits them. It is greed dialed up to 11. I know what you're thinking, probably, if you're a casual football fan. You're thinking, the last time we heard from you boys... You were talking about racism, and frankly, listener, that has only got worse. Uh, players are being racially abused on social media every single week. Um, clubs in this country are facing financial ruin as a result of the pandemic. Uh, we've already talked in the past about Berry, for example, Bolton, Macclesfield, either going out of business or on the verge of going out of business. However, this has captured the public's imagination like nothing else, Kyle. People are more concerned about this than they have been about any other aspect of football. And in fact, probably in the last few months, anything outside of the pandemic. I feel like I should put a couple of uh, disclaimers in for terms that may be obvious to us, but not obvious to everyone. Start with grassroots. Trickling down to the grassroots, you might just be thinking of the pitch that has grassroots. What we mean is, and what the what the English system and most of the main European league systems financially is set up to do is to cater for the lower league systems by trickling down profit, sharing some of the wealth. Why everyone is up in arms about this European Super League ESL proposal is that they will have absolutely no necessity or obligation to do that. And therefore, they won't. These clubs have lost tens of millions of pounds of revenue in the pandemic, the major clubs. You know, small clubs are going out of business because they've lost a couple of million pounds of of revenue. Grassroots football is at a stagnation point. But these major clubs have lost tens of millions of pounds. You know, we're talking someone like Barcelona, whose annual revenue in 2019 was 740 million pounds. Their 2020 revenue was 627 million pounds. That's a 120 million pound revenue drop. And they want to cover that. They're owned by rich people 
who are determined to stay rich. And that's why you invest in major sport under the structure we're currently in. And you may have disagreements with that, listener, but we cannot say because you disagree with something, it should get worse. You're probably thinking £740 million is an obscene amount of money. And you're right. Yes, um, but this so is... for them to lose is... that, I can understand why a listener might be like, who cares? And the point is, really, the league system is set up so that you don't have to. We're like, if, if Barcelona had a, have a bad year, as everyone's having, they'll still be proportionally better off than no one else in the league. But the new proposal means that this sort of cut-off cabal of 20 clubs or 15 clubs to start with will never, ever be affected by anything that would affect the rest of football. They're putting themselves the, on a pedestal. The initial investment is three, uh, 300 million uh, euros a club a year, which puts... It just takes away... Money is already turn football inside out you know the, the levels of money involved in football are insane they're grotesque they're disgusting we know that you know that let's move beyond that to just discuss this exact this exact thing Th- this this situation where they have had a shortfall and they want that to never happen again they do not they want to be insulated against the idea that they might ever be in a financial situation where they lose money ever again and, and so therefore, you know, Tottenham, who are probably the most controversial inclusion, along with AC Milan, in terms of being a successful team and a big team, talking about them being one of the bigger teams, because they've not really uh, been showing that for some time. Tottenham have £591 million of debt. And so this it makes perfect sense for them, because it guarantees them money coming in to service that debt. We've been to their brand new stadium they have to pay back. It's, it, it is, it is... This is, I think, why everyone is so angry, is is that it's so obviously about money. It's about insulating yourself against the damage that everyone else can just live with. And on top of that, it's anti-competitive. Because in this country, we... we I, I don't like this kind of sort of capitalistic language around anything, but we, we, we punish failure. If you, if you have had a bad season, you do not deserve to play in the greatest European tournament. And of the teams in this country that are um, that are suggesting they'll go to the European Super League, half haven't played Champions League football this season. Well, Manchester United did, but then they dropped down. So this traditional top six, it's not really traditional, actually. It's only, I'd say, in the last decade crystallised as the top six. Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City and Liverpool. By all rights, as Joel was saying, based on this season's performance... Only four of them are in the top six. Nope. Three. If Everton finished strongly, they could knock... It could be that yes. of this quote-unquote top six, only three finish in the top six and therefore would qualify for said competition. So it's a, it's also a power grab for someone like Arsenal, who are, fin- who are playing and have been performing in mid-table all season. Tottenham have been up and down, but are now seventh. And Liverpool, in defending their title from last year have been one of the worst defending champions of all time, and they're in sixth. They lost nine games. These teams do not deserve, on performance basis, to be put on a higher echelon. Uh, and uh, on top of that, this is, you know, the, 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 that's the competitive element. There is also the idea that this is about leverage, that they want to leverage their power and try and, you know, make an argument for how the TV money from the Champions League, from the top club competition in Europe... Uh, which the money in that is astronomical. You know, the, the the difference between playing Champions League and not playing Champions League is, is anywhere between 50 million and 250 million euros a season. You know, 
we're, we're talking already big money, but they want to be protected against the fact that if they don't play Champions League, they don't make that money. I think we should clarify something. You might be thinking, so what? The Champions League is a tournament that we're all familiar with, and lower than that, the sort of by-product second division version of that, the Europa League. The, pre- the Premier League will continue. That's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm going to go and watch. That might, You might be thinking that. Also, you might be thinking, haven't we already had pretty much every couple of years, every five years at least, a new rebranding of the Champions League mooted? Isn't this just a final version of that? What's the difference? There's a couple of main differences. And one, we've gone through some of them, but another big uh, difference between them is that this is the first time the clubs involved have separated themselves off with a joint statement. Usually when something is exposed about a plan to revamp the Champions League, a power grab, the clubs come out and say, oh, we don't have anything to do with that. Um, oh, this is this is just hypothetical. This time, the, the initial announcement where everyone heard about it on Sunday night was a joint statement by the 12 clubs. So that is very different and a very strong message of their intention. But also, I think, why is this so dramatic, Joel? Why everyone's talking about it. One is because it seems like it's going to happen or it's, they're going to try and make it happen because of this statement. But two, it's because of the ramifications. Instantly, the, the, the governing bodies of the, of the existing groups, we've already talked about the Premier League, the FA, UEFA, they've come out and said, we will expel you. So basically, why it's becoming a breakaway competition is, hypothetically, if this goes ahead, these clubs will be kicked out of the Premier League, they'll be kicked out of the Champions League, and therefore they will only exist in this franchise, closed-off, anti-competitive competition. What does that mean for, like... What does that mean, Joel, in a layman's terms? It, it, it means that, you know, we're talking... They said themselves, these 12 clubs represent a billion fans worldwide. Those fans will not be able to see their, their teams play in the competitions that they associate with those teams. What does it mean for the Premier League? How would the Premier League work? The Premier League would have to take the top six from the lower division up as a uh, uh, to make up the numbers. That the, they would completely they would be operating their league without, let's face it, the six teams that probably bring in the most viewership to both fans. They've got the biggest stadiums, um, with the exception of maybe Newcastle and West Ham. But like. Uh, you know, they, they, they bring in the most fans, they bring in the most eyes, They, you know, the red chip games of, you know, Liverpool versus Manchester United. You'd only be able to see that in the European Super League on a Wednesday night. It it takes away hundred, uh, nearly 150 years of history as well. It'd be a reset on, Completely. Um, on every single European league, effectively, on the history of every European league. It would be very difficult to talk about the sort of the the glory years of Manchester United in the 90s Liverpool in the 70s because it would be ancient history there'd, there'd be no connection to the current game there'd be nothing to contend against that's the thing as well it's about connection it's it the the, the perils and the ups and downs and joys of being a football fan and you know you all know listen even if you've been listening to this being like I just want to get my head around why people care so I can acknowledge that people care but I don't give a shit fair enough But you know and we know that football fans are passionate. People who care about football, they may be right, they may be wrong. We all have our opinions on that. But they get depressed. They get angry. They send racist Instagram messages to black players. But let's leave that aside for a second. They don't all do that. Not all of them. Not all of them. But but they get depressed, they get angry, they have emotional engagement with the game. This takes away any level of emotional engagement with the game. See, I disagree about that. It absolutely does, because let's, why let's, would you let, care? Let me give you a devil's advocate. 
I I have been for most of my life a Chelsea fan. I could be of the persuasion. I love Chelsea. I want Chelsea to play the best teams every week. I love it when we're in the Champions League. This will be like we're in the Champions League forever. All the best players are going to come play for my club because we can pay them the most money. And therefore, Chelsea will always be of a certain competitive level. And it's the highest level entertainment. It's the best league in the world. And my team are in it. It forever. I'm happy. And I've heard people say that. I've heard, I've seen on social media, lots of fans thinking, I will always support my club. I've supported them for 50 years. I'm not going to stop now. It's just a, it's just a, a, re, a fresh start. Up the Chelsea, you know? And there will be people that think that. You and I just don't agree with them. I, th- I just, I don't understand what the point is if there is no peril. It's not, it's not sport in the same meaning. It's not competitive. If there's no promotion, and we, we've grown up with promotion relegation and we love it. But also imagine watching the 100 metres final in the Olympics. The, the pinnacle of running competition. The very much just the, the, the eight fastest people <laughs> running against each other. And then the, the next Olympics rolls around and nothing has changed in the intervening four years. I don't think that's a very good comparison because if it's the same S- if it's the same eight runners as it was four years ago, then nothing will have changed if they are still the best. No, but that's what I'm saying. As in, there is no intervening time. There's no qualifying for your country being the fastest person representing oh, your I country. Yeah. There's nothing. You are literally, and you may love Usain Bolt, but don't you want him to run against the people who have the best chance of beating him? He's never going to be beaten. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I understand. That, that, that allegory works. It, 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 it takes away the entire point for me of being a sports fan. And, you know, some might say that's just because I lack a good moan. Which I do. I love a good oh, moan. Oh, but my dad said, Tottenham fan, I, obviously I will follow Tottenham in this league if it happens, but they will be the worst team in it and will always lose. So what would be the point be? And that is classic Tottenham fair, isn't it? But it's it? interesting because will it be better than the current Tottenham situation if we'll always lose, oh, I wish we could win to get up a, get up the league a little bit more. There'll be no reason to get up the league a bit more. Oh, you're the current European Super League champions. Well, give who cares? Essentially, if you're in the Super League, if you are deigned worthy of being, have a place in the Super League, you are a champion. Yeah, you're that's a, You're saying. a financial champion. You're an entertainment champion. You will always be in the top 15. It doesn't matter. Who gives a monkeys who wins that league? And it's financial champion. That's what it comes down to here. Because uh, the other thing that um, a lot of people have been messaging me the last couple of days being like, can you explain this? Can you explain what this means? And one of the things I think it means quite clearly is these chairmen, and they are all men, the people who own these clubs, they do not care about the fan base. Full stop. End of argument. They do not. Because what will happen is these marquee games when Liverpool and United are playing each other every week, Real Madrid and Barcelona are playing each other every week. These marquee games are designed to bring in corporate sponsorship, sell corporate match day tickets and tickets to tourists. And listen, you can you can say that I'm naive but one of the things that excites me about a football club is it doesn't matter who owns it. To use the language that Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher have been using in the last few days, they are custodians of the club and its history. They go, the club remains. That has always been the case. Managers come and go, players come and go, chairmen come and go, owners come and go. The institutions of the clubs remain. And so frankly, what I think is so disgusting is that they don't, they haven't consulted. They haven't, not only have they not consulted the fan groups, they've not consulted the leagues that they come from. Uh, This Friday, UEFA are threatening to throw Chelsea, City and uh, Real Real Madrid, who are the last three of those big 
big 12 teams still in the Champions League of this season out of the competition. The Premier League are talking about docking points. The Premier League are talking about not allowing them to play uh, if they go ahead with this. So that's the end of the domestic season for these six teams. They'll be out of the domestic league. And then the big one, none of the players who play for these clubs, this is the big threat, will be allowed to represent their country. This was said yesterday by the head of UEFA, uh, a guy called Seferin, Alexander Seferin. Um, he had to come out uh, all guns blazing. He used the word snakes, traitors. And these aren't terms that usually a UEFA representative would use in a press conference. He, as Joel said, has threatened every single player who plays for one of these Rebel 12 clubs with suspension from representing their international clubs at the upcoming Euros. Now, obviously, we haven't had done a podcast in five months nearly. We were planning for a big old series of episodes for the old Euros because that's how we started. We love a tournament and we were really looking forward to... We still are looking forward to bringing you a whole series of episodes based on getting ready for the Euros. They've already been delayed for a year, Joel. We've missed them last summer. This is the Euro 2020. In 2021. We won it. But what... Like, why this is so dramatic? I know I keep coming back to it because I'm trying to... You know, we're trying to answer the question, why is this big? These... I've, said, I've used the word hypothetical a couple of times. These aren't actually hypotheticals because because the clubs have said this on Sunday, all these things that we are saying are, ha- are happening in consequence are actual threats that could be followed through because the clubs, the leagues, they have no other choice. They have to do something to try and nip this in the bud because if it happens, it will change football forever. And so they're literally throwing everything they can at it to scare, scare tactics, to scare these clubs back from the brink of exiting their leagues. But, like, even if you don't have any national pride, the time that uh, a lot of people engage with football is around these big international tournaments, the European Championships, the World Cup, and if you're one of our listeners uh, in uh, South America, Copper America, or even uh, the African Cup of Nations, these are the time that people who don't necessarily care about football come to support their national team. Especially since we can go back to the pub. Yeah, exactly. We're looking at a situation this summer where the best players in Europe who tend to play for the biggest teams will not be allowed to represent their countries. That is mind-blowing. We're not talking about just one or two clubs from every single nation, uh, one or two players. Joel and I went through the England squad that could play if this was if this was followed through. And we would know, we'll know this in a matter of weeks whether this is going to happen. There will be no Kane, no Sterling, no Rashford, no Henderson, no... Maguire, no Trippier, no Walker. Who keep going, Joel? I mean, no Cristiano Ronaldo at for Portugal. You know, we're talking seismic. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like it, it. It is an extraordinary situation that I don't think any of us could have thought. They've been mooting this for so long, and they normally bring it up, and then they get a little bit more TV money out of the Champions no, League. No, this is the first time it's been phrased in a way that it's separate to the Champions League. It's also the first time there's been a joint statement, and the really interesting thing on the joint statement is it is the six Premier League clubs allowed it to be led by the chairman of Manchester United, Joel Glazer, and uh, it that fills me with a bit of a sense of dread, uh, because the Glazers, when they bought Manchester United, they faced unprecedented levels of pushback from traditional fans and they fought through and they kept hold of the team and they don't really care about on-pitch success. They care about how much money they get out of the club. It's most important how much money they get out of the club and this guarantees income. And if he is spearheading this, my fear, very real fear, is this could actually happen. 
which will change football as we know it. And that's why people are upset. And also because it's this is capitalism dialed up to 11. Like I say, even if you don't care about football, you should care about this because it is about the rich getting richer after a year in which every single person in the world pretty much has has had to financially suffer other than some friends of our government. We're looking at a situation where the rich in a sport that is loved by billions we are, are protecting themselves. They don't care about people who care about the sport. I cannot see any way that you would think this was a good thing. Do, 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 do. I wanna kick you in the face. Let's go back to the Barcelona loss of 120 something million pounds. We were you were talking about how this will set up uh, these rebel clubs' income in relation to how much that will be with match day revenue, et cetera, et cetera. What that proves is if a European Super League can separate themselves and secure their own merchandising rights, their own broadcasting rights, their own They're already negotiating with a TV company in Saudi Arabia to buy the, the global rights. So there we the, go. Yeah. To me, actually, a drop of 120 million is not much considering they've not had... And they, ha- they can have 100,000 fans in their stadium. I mean, that is just less revenue. So they're, they're, so it's 120 million less revenue, but they may well have experienced other debts taken on. But it does show you to what extent for these big clubs, match day revenue is, is only a slight percentage of their intake. Yeah. And so if it, it you know, the, the feasibly, they don't care that they would be asking their fans to travel the continent every week to watch their clubs, which obviously not many people can afford to do because the majority of their profit is going to come from TV money and sponsorship. And they don't care. And... Why that affects lower leagues? If if you're if you're like our friend Joe Cullen, who supports Yeovil, who are in the fifth division right now, all of their money is from gate receipts. Grassroots football, lower league football, is all to do with fandom and supporting your club. And so we've discussed this before the pod. If you're a fan of one of these rebel clubs and you don't agree with what's happening, it makes you want to go and support a local team and actually support them financially. Chelsea, Tottenham don't care about our money. No, I'll be honest, as a Spurs fan, this is it for me. I'll go somewhere else. And I never thought I would ever be able to say that. I've been a Spurs fan my entire life, 35 years. I I did not think that I could ever say I'd ever walk away, but I I could walk away. But they've just got a new stadium. We love it there. I could walk away from that. The pints come up from the bottom. I could walk away from that. They they have shown themselves for who they are at, at the top echelon of the club. And... Unless that changes, I don't see myself investing time and energy and passion into a team that don't belong to me. They've just proven how much they don't belong to me. Look, the reason they're doing this is because they'll get 300 million uh, quid right now. And they're looking at three times as much money a season as they get from the Champions League. And it's guaranteed money. They don't care about the club. And it's only happened because of the pandemic. And therein lies another level of selfishness where we've got clubs that people care about, that are the centre of towns in this country, closing left, right and centre, having to shut up shop because they can't afford to keep going. And these people have lost 120 million quid and they're like, well, but that's not ever going to be allowed to happen again. So we need to make sure that we're okay. It's I'm okay, Fred, I don't care about you, John. That's what it, literally, that's what it is. I I, I just made that saying up in my anger. I hope that we've clarified this somewhat for you, listener. Um, well, let's just quickly touch on something really interesting. So you 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 briefly spoke about the clubs that haven't signed up uh, that we would have just, expected. Let's just recap the clubs that have. Yeah. Biggest two clubs in England, arguably Manchester United and Liverpool. Also, interestingly enough, in this case, the two with American ownership who also own American 
sports franchises. So they understand exactly how this will work. Oh, they know what they're doing. Yeah, they they can they can they've they've got a business model already successful in this regard. It will be this league will work. They they there's no way they'll be win it together already if it wouldn't. Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, three London clubs, and Manchester City, arguably the richest of the six. So owned by. Uh... The, the royal family of Abu Dhabi in Manchester City's case, owned by one of the richest men coming out of Russia in Chelsea's case, uh, owned by, in fact, actually Arsenal are also owned by an American uh, and Tottenham owned by uh, a tax evading billionaire in the Bahamas, so uh, who is actually British. But the, at the end of the day, these are very wealthy people who have invested a lot of time, a lot of money into, these, into their endeavours and they do not want to lose that any more than so they already the have. the English six and the Span- the big three in Spain, your Real Madrid, your Barcelona, your Atletico Madrid. And who are miles, already miles richer than the rest of the teams because they can all, that they, that whilst their, their TV rights money is split fairly equally, the invest, the other money in terms of sponsorship deals that Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid get compared to your Elches and Granadas is, is, insane yeah the premier league is actually geared up to some level of equity with its uh, broadcasting rights the spanish league ain't and also the italian league they're the other now this is a, a very interesting one i think because for years for a very very long time italian football was at the sort of uh, zenith of european competition it hasn't been for some time uh, and yet juventus in Mil- ac milan and inter milan have managed to get themselves into this deal uh, the one that st- astonishes me is ac milan AC Milan's revenue, if we're talking like, you know, we're talking about the richest clubs in the world, absolutely not. Sheffield United and Fulham make more money than AC Milan. So there's a kind of, there's an interesting sort of double think there in terms of what is a big club. Considering this is all about money, you know, if it's all about money, you might as well just ask the all the English teams who are all richer than all the other teams to, um, to, to form a breakaway league from their own league. It doesn't make any sense. It's so annoying, Kyle. So that's the 12. Mm. And then... So the rumour is that Paris Saint-Germain, the, the Qatari royal family-owned French champions, are on the cards. They have yet to say either way. They have not signed up yet. Well, that might be because the other three teams they're still in the Champions League with are at the danger of being expelled, which would just give them the, their first ever Champions League. They're going to win the Champions League by default. Imagine that. And then join the league anyway. And then join the league. Um, <laughs> and then finally, the two spots that everyone sees as remaining, people assume will go to Bayern Munich and Dortmund. And uh, we've been talking for over half an hour, and I did want to talk about the founding of the Premier League and how 30 years of history has led us here and all that stuff. But I think we'll save that for another day. So instead, let's leave this on why you and I think those two German teams won't be coming in and what this just announced today government uh, uh, government investigation into the running of football and returning it to the fans, what we think the final outcome should be for that. So in German football, listener, it is a legal requirement for the fans to own 51% of the club. The shares in the club cannot be owned majoritatively by a single shareholder. They must be fan-owned in the majority. Now, that hasn't necessarily worked in terms of inspiring competition. Bayern Munich have won the league nine years in a row, I think they're coming up to now. You know, it, But what it has meant is that in terms of protecting something that means so much to so many... It looks like, it looks like we could be jumping the gun. Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich and maybe even RB Leipzig, the three biggest teams in Germany, will not be joining this breakaway league. 
I think uh, one of the executives at Dortmund came out yesterday morning and and said pretty much that they that was correct. But it just seems. But Bayern Munich are the third or fourth richest club in the world. So the top two: Barcelona, Real Madrid, and then Manchester United, and then uh, Munich. It it doesn't see you know with my capitalist head on. It makes no sense for them not to be in this league. They're also probably the best footballing team in, in, in on the continent, or at least up there. But they can't because their fans will not let them because their fans have a stake in the club. Which is great. And that, I think, is the hopefully semi-positive note we should lead you on, listener, which is not that I trust the current government of this country to do anything, but announcing a review into the way that football is run in this country is a vital step. And with any luck and... We can all keep our fingers firmly crossed. One of the outcomes of that will be fan ownership, um, a proportion of them regulating football clubs to say that the proportion of shares must be owned by fans. It's not going to happen. Well, it's the only way that I can foresee stopping something like this happening again. If these clubs leave and they're saying, you know, the the government are saying cross party support for this, by the way, in this country, um, you know, bipartisan for our American cousins. the, 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 they're saying, you know, we'll do everything in our power to stop this. We don't think it's stopped. We both think this is happening, right? I don't see how it can happen. I don't, I, I, the, all the threat, the, the threat, one, of taking the players out of European competition. The players have no control in the situation. They are, they are, they're contracted by their clubs. That's how they get paid. They will have to do as the clubs say. Chelsea uh, manager was interviewed yesterday, three hours of like in the morning of the announcement, and had to therefore speak on behalf of his club, even though clearly he had no say in the decision. The players and the managers, the staff, are just being led, whichever way this is going to go. I don't think we can accept the best players not being in the European tournament, and therefore I just don't think it will happen. I think it, I think it's the closest it's ever been to happening. Nobody knows, listener, but I hope. In the last 40 minutes, we have at least explained to you the situation, why everyone is so angry, why everyone is so upset, um, and given you an indication of where things might go. I tell you what's really interesting to me is seeing these incredibly rich former footballer pundits coming out against it, seeing fan supporters trusts made up of fans who are passionate about the teams coming out against it, seeing the Prime Minister, the leader of the opposition, Prince William. There is not a single person in a position of power or even uh, passion in the game, who is coming out for this. So, I think it's also interesting that football is so huge in our society and in our politics that... Yeah. Could you imagine, like, some sort of international uh, incident, how long it takes Boris Johnson to make a statement? He made this after three hours. Yeah, let's come back to... Let's, as as always, as always, listener, let's end on this note. We know it's ridiculous. We know football has too much money, too much power, too much sway in our society. The... Uh, culture sector in this in this country has been decimated by the pandemic and it is taken uh, and, and is looking like uh, Oliver Dowden who is also the because this country is mad is, culture, media and sports culture, media and sports has, hat on. has said nothing about culture basically for a year and is making statements to, to uh, MPs after uh, overnight uh response football we... is our culture it is our national culture it is like the national culture of europe like it's hard to admit but clearly like the only thing that's going to continue during the pandemic is football 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 without fans which has been awful but like it is obviously such a touch point in our society that this is why everyone's talking it's about a, it it is i woke up yesterday i played tennis people were people were talking about it on the tennis court 
I then went for a walk in the afternoon. I heard people, fathers explain to their daughters about what was happening whilst they were on a walk. And then in the evening, I went for another walk. Everyone is talking about this. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and that's why we, we felt we had to... We had to you. come out for this special episode. Hopefully it's been worth it. Um, like I say, I'll go back right to the beginning uh, and say, you know, it would been, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been nice to have come back and said there's been an independent inquiry into racism in football and something, something, something. As Patrick Bamford, the lead striker, said when he was interviewed last night... Uh, as we record this, about uh, about the Liverpool, about Leeds drawing with Liverpool. They asked him what he thought about it, and he said it would be nice if people cared this much about racism. So, um, good old Patrick. We'll leave it on that. I I'm not ready to leave it. I just if it is going to happen, if this is going to happen, is there is something exciting about the eradication of history? But I, erad- oh, I'm, right. not, I'm I, not happy about it, and I'm not I'm not saying that this is great, and we need to just start again and like a. A fresh start, but there is something incredibly intoxicating about the idea of everything changing forever. In the narrative of football, like you and I clearly feel like we would step away from supporting this branch of the new franchising of football, but the actual surviving. Like, I don't think there will be any. I, 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 on a, I think the, the, the kind of old school fan who is not us, you know, we're a couple of dickhead football hipsters, but like. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that's that was the alternative title for this podcast, right? Well, like let's use Guna Day for example, who we had on the, on the podcast before. He wrote a piece yesterday saying the Premier League is what it is. We all have our problems with the capitalist sort of overtures of the Premier League, but effectively it's just a renaming of League One. There's been four divisions of professional football for over a hundred years. Pushing on for a hundred, uh, Preston North End, who are one of the founding members of the, of the Football League, when they wrote about, they released a public statement about this. They're currently in, in the Championship, so in the second division of English football. That's confusing. Um, they released a statement saying, coming up to 150 years of history and this is how you treat well, it. Well, yeah, well, they've had 150 years, but the four league system is over a hundred years old. That's a long time. That will never be the same again. And there's a part of me that thinks a hundred years is a long time. Maybe, maybe it's okay if there's a, a, a different, if it all gets revamped. Maybe it would be better for low, low, lower league football. Maybe it'd be better for community-led football. Football fans going to games. If we have a, a chance to say, we reject this and we embrace this. At the moment, it's difficult to do that. If you're, if you're a loyal, quote-unquote, fan, yeah. if you're a Chelsea, a fan on these big six teams... You're paying through the nose. Yeah, you're, and you're... you feel you have to do it because it's the only way you show your loyalty. Yeah. If you're given a choice to be like, I reject this forever, and I'm going to... I think that's nice. I think it's exciting. Oh, but I, I, the, the problem I have with that, like I have with this, is I wish I didn't care about this so much. Because it is only ga- a game, it is only football, who cares? But I just think it's it's a mark of how sick our society is that, that these institutions that are owned by individuals or conglomerates with more money than they know what to do with are so determined to make more. As Gary Neville said, Red Nev, as we've referred to him on this podcast before, on Sunday night, these people have more money than they know how to spend in a lifetime and they're determined to make more. And football as a microcosm of society is a terrifying thing. We've said that before on this podcast plenty of times. A lot of the terrible things that happen in football can then be seen expanded out into the rest of society. And this is just another example of in a year where our whole world was turned upside down, one of the main things that hasn't been turned upside down is the rich have got richer and the poor have got poorer. And this is just an extension of that. To hear that, listener, you're sick.
You are sick. Your society is sick. What are you going to do about it? You're not going to follow the European Super League. But I will. I personally listen. In, a, in, a, in about a year and a half, car, we're going to have to have a conversation about whether or not we will do uh, a series of podcasts for the World Cup in Qatar because uh, <laughs> we uh, I, at the moment that's the FIFA chatbot talking about the human rights violations in Qatar. Talk well, about talk about another day, lads. That's yeah. what they're saying. But also at the moment, this could end the European Championship to come. We like, as we speak on Tuesday morning after the announcements on Sunday night, the future terrain of football, not just in essence, but also this season, is up in the air. We don't know whether these clubs are going to be expelled from finishing the Premier League. We don't know. On Friday, as we said, the Champions League, it might be announced that three teams were just kicked out. This never, this is unprecedented. Manchester we United, are in the middle of a shitstorm. Manchester United and Arsenal are in the uh, semi-final of the Europa League as well. Well, they'll have to be kicked out. Yeah. So it'll be Villarreal versus Roma. Yeah. The true final. <laughs> this is all, we're like, it's sort of laughable because it's happening. This is really happening. You're really listening. I've been Kyle. He's been Joel. We will be back, listener, this summer for a... Series of podcasts. Will we? If it happens, if it happens, I know you think it's going to happen. It might not happen. It will happen. Just How without, can it happen without, without, without the big players? Without the big players, we will be back, listener, for season seven. We might, we might also tell you a bit more about what we've been up to because yeah, yeah we'll engage with other things and not this, this. But we'll be back with season seven of the Absolute Worldy Football Podcast this summer in time for the European Championships, when we will be doing everything that you like, giving you those pub talking points so you can point out players, little nuggets of knowledge. Mostly it will be, he's only in the team because so-and-so was banned. Hey, listen, <laughs> if this does all go ahead and we lose our best players, it, the pod will be even better because yeah. you'll need it even more. <laughs> Who? Great Who? for us. Great Tyrone for us. Mings? As ever, please do like, subscribe and share. Uh, this is, as I say, a one-off, but we would love more p- p- people to listen to this. And also, this particular episode, we hope, has been very helpful for those of you who are still struggling to understand what an Earth the Furore has been about. I really hope we've made it clearer. I think we probably have made it 50% clearer and 50% less clear, so equal. And on that note, Kyle, lovely to see you. So nice. I'll see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. That was the Absolute Weldy Football Podcast by Kyle Ross and Joel Samuels with theme music by Adam Janosz-Bazowski and Amar Patel. Absolute Weldy is dedicated to the memory of Liam Seeker. Please do remember to like, share, subscribe, follow us at Weldy Podcast on Twitter, Absolute Weldy Football Podcast on Instagram, and drop us a line anytime at absoluteweldypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye.